You're listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because we're going to talk about a topic that I've been spending more time and money uh, (laughs) investing in uh, the vacation, hospitalities, second homes uh, market. Uh, But I was giving you a little bit of... uh, I was giving you a little bit of a hard time before the show because <laughs> I see that you're not yet in South Dakota. You said you came and you visited once to the Badlands. Where else did you go when you're here in South Dakota? Uh, we we drove. Is it what's the main highway that goes right through the south part of the state? Route ninety. I, it, Route ninety. Drove right yeah. down at Route ninety. Pretty much stopped everywhere you could possibly go. Um, yeah. We also went to North Dakota, by the way. And I I, I don't want to offend me or North Dakotans, but I was uh, a little more partial to the south. That, that, that's okay. Look, you know, North Dakota's got <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt National Park. It has the Enchanted Highway. It's got a lot mm-hmm. of the world's of largest. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the real comparisons, there is no comparison. Well, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I've got Paul Kremitis. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Summer. Summer is a full-service acquisitions property management platform, helping homeowners uh, find a path to buying a vacation home. And they, they've got two distinct models for ownership. Uh, one they call gradual and immediate. And so I want to start with this before we get into the details of the product and all that sort of thing. You're not new to the the hospitality and vacations business. So maybe we can back up a little bit and set the, 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 the playing field here and talk about your career path and what led you to starting summer. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I spent a number of years uh, over at Airbnb uh, before starting summer was initially I worked on a, a few different products there, most notably the Airbnb which is Airbnb's foray in, into building out really like a luxury tier on the platform, right? Mm-hmm. You think about like traditional pricing tiers, right? Airbnb used to talk about it in terms of like a halo effect or um, maybe another analogy would be like the Goldilocks effect, right? Um, it's a really interesting thing. If you think about, if you're familiar with the Few little bears, right? Uh, the, right. the old story, right? The one's too hot, one's uh-huh. too cold, one's just right. Um, Airbnb was trying to do was really um, channel people to what the highest yielding um, supply is on the platform, right? Which has traditionally been Airbnb Plus or Verified or the Super Host tier, right? It's it's not mm-hmm. traditional marketplace. It's not the person with you know a couple of reviews and some crooked pictures, and you're not really sure what you're getting, right? And on the other yep. end, you know, Airbnb Lux is a very nice product. Um, I worked on it, I know. Um, very nice homes. But we're talking like, you know, $4,000 a night Cabo Villa. Nice day, but not exactly everyone's price range. Um, but it creates a, a bracket, right, for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. naturally, a lot of people just start to drift towards the middle, right? Um, you know, if, if you're having a down year finances-wise and you're a rich person going for that upper end, you drift towards the middle and say, oh, you know what? Instead of going to Switzerland for skiing, maybe I can just 
you know, <laughs> go to Colorado. Maybe you'll settle for Aspen. Like exactly. <laughs> settle for Aspen. Uh, or, you know, if you, if, if you're like myself, you know, I've, I've got a couple of kids, um, you know, I, I, that person who's got the two reviews for, you know, two fifty a night, let's say, um, you know, maybe some crooked pictures, not really sure what you're getting. I might pay 400 mm-hmm. or even 450 for five-star reviews, 400 five-star reviews, you know, great professional photography, verified amenities. You just know what you're walking into. And you know, if you've ever had a bad experience, you know what that feels like and what that feels like on your wallet and everything like that. So um started to think more and more about that. And those folks in that middle tier are really where you see most of the cash generation happen in the short-term rental space, mm-hmm. right? Because they're high quality assets that cover the cost of ownership in a lot of, in a lot of ways or a lot of cases. Um, mm-hmm. The problem that Airbnb had, and when I was when I was there, and I think it still exists today, across the wide swaths of the short-term rental marketplaces out there, are they are supply constrained and quality supply constrained. So I use that in somewhat of a emphasis on the word quality. Um, they can't stand up that supply fast enough. So when I was there, you know, they tried a number of different ways and thought through a number of different ways that were not sort of the obvious ones to me, uh, which were well, literally just help people do it, right? Help them find the right home. We've got, there's data out there that points to doing it. You can train models, you can build algorithms, right? There's a lot of data that's been out and coming out, especially over the last decade, as you know, more and more people are participating in these marketplaces about mm-hmm. what makes a good short-term rental and what doesn't, right? What geographies rent really well, what areas rent really well, oversaturation, undersaturation, et cetera. How do you design out and furnish that home to a certain aesthetic? That's mass appeal, right? And there are, again, things you can do here. Um, you know, surprise, like painting a room all black and like having all black furniture or something like that, like may not appeal to a mass audience uh, in a beach town in South Carolina, right? Like you, you kind of have to- <laughs> No, you got you to have to have the pastels that look like the yeah. taffy you're getting from the <laughs> exactly. boardwalk. It's nice, like wicker chairs, right? Like you know, there, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a vibe you've got to go for, uh, and there's room for personal accommodation. And, and I think you see Airbnb sure. leaning more into the unique stays and things like that, which I think is really cool, like little flair of cool, right? Um, yeah. I, and then pricing it, managing it, doing all the work for it. Um, you know, Airbnb being an Airbnb host uh, is is probably more of a commitment. You know, we talk about Airbnb, Uber, all these things that popped up, these marketplaces more of a commitment it's not just something you kind of like turn on and off like if you're going to do it yourself that's a good amount of work um mm-hmm. the, the 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 nexus of the idea really came out of my time there and seeing how supply constrained the platform was and thinking to myself well there's got to be an easier way to help folks out there stand up quality supply and actually make money out of it in a smart way yeah yeah and and and, and so even prior to your time though at airbnb obviously like you got quite a bit of exposure. You got to see probably more during your time there than anyone running this business could really see, you yeah. know, especially access to the data. You saw the trends and, and mm-hmm. you were there during, I would say one of like the a, a significant growth period. I mean, 100%. although they've been on a, a tear, there's a reason why some companies <laughs> become standards, right? For sure. Uh, but prior to that, did you have a distinct passion or interest in travel, vacation, hospitality, or was this something that developed during your time there to really kind of like, you know, have an eye for it and a knack yeah. for it and see the, the true opportunity there. I always loved travel, uh, you know, dating back as, as far back as I can remember. I always wanted to travel. And, and initially, when I uh, you know, came to school, I thought I might, you know, consider a path of State Department and Foreign Service or something. So 
which I thought about living abroad. Yeah, something very, very off the very wall. Very different. And, uh, very different than what I'm doing now. I think I quickly realized, yeah, you get to travel a lot with that. But, um, you know, like most entrepreneurs, I like uh, I like agency over my life and my decisions, right? And being told mm. what to do and when to do it, uh, where to go and where to live uh, around the world maybe isn't the best choice. And I, I think, you know, uh, government service has a layer of bureaucracy that uh, isn't exactly conducive to the entrepreneurial spirit. When you figure out you have the entrepreneurial spirit, you kind of just keep chasing them. So, you know, I, I spent a good amount of time sort of building up other skills, I think, that made me uh, a valuable founder. Today. I didn't jump right into entrepreneurship. Some folks you know, are able to do it right out of uh, school. Some of my initial doctors were the founders of Casper, for example. A lot of those oh. guys. Um, did it right out of undergrad, right? Uh, pretty close to it. And, you know, more power to them. My entrepreneurial journey took a bit, uh, bit of a twist, you know, I ended up going to grad school, worked in finance for a bit at first, you know, built up a lot of hard skills in, in much bigger businesses, yeah. went to M&A consulting for a bit, um, you know, which I think taught me well in terms of the foundations that one needs to be an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I try to mentor folks that are earlier on their journey as well right now and talk to them about, like, you know, just because you didn't start something at 22 doesn't mean the journey is over from here. There, there are a lot of pathways that one can take, and it's about building skills. And I, I think I pulled something from every stop. And also, I think for me, it was also very valuable to start, start with, you know, a much mm-hmm. bigger corporate environment. I learned a lot of skills, and I learned a lot of what, you know, good and looks like in the sense of like, by the time I got to Airbnb, you know, I, I arrived at Airbnb in late 17, early 18. And, you know, it was like a 6,000, 5,000 person company, I want to say at that point, um, you know, much smaller than, you know, some of the big finance institutions I'd worked for, consulting institutions I'd worked for before that. But, um, you know, still a big tech company, but it, it, it had a, a, a you gave, your, gave you an idea of what good looks like, right? Like if this thing goes well, this mm-hmm, is what you're mm-hmm. looking at, like a pre-IPO, Silicon Valley startup darling, uh, Airbnb, Uber, all of that, right? Uh, it's a very exciting time to join one of those companies, but it gives you a mental model. It gives you a blueprint for, you know, where to guide yourself to in sort of that lighthouse in the distance as a founder. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of formative experiences coming out of that. So I thought it was always very helpful to sort of continue to get smaller and smaller in my career um, to the point where I felt like, you know, this is, uh, this is the right time to make the plunge. That honestly, uh, I'm going to be selfish for a minute and tell you how much I needed to hear that because my <laughs> entrepreneurial journey has been a little bit all over the place. I I'd actually started right out of college. I started really? before college too. Uh, and it was a just dumpster fire, <laughs> which, which, which has led me, you know, uh, down some other paths and, you know, uh, yeah. Learned a lot of but, lessons uh, about that though. Well, you know what? I did. In fact, it was an agency model. And then um, the second agency that I I started, I took a lot of lessons. I I started with this lofty idea of like, I want to help small businesses. And then I didn't really, I don't know why I didn't put this together. I was like, small business means small budget. Small budget means no money. No money means no business. And that's what I ended up with, you know? And and so when I actually started my agency uh, back in 2018, uh, and I picked prop tech, uh, followed my passion for, for real estate and my belief in, Hey, tech is going to transform this industry. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, well, 
cool, man. These early stage companies, they, they raise a few million bucks. They're, they're hiring shy. They don't want to like commit to a hundred grand on a new employee who's going to spend mm-hmm. 500 grand on paid ads and then maybe ruin it all. Yeah. They'll hire the agency that's very disposable if they need to get them out the door and mm-hmm. I'll be really good about it. So they're not going to fire me. And sure enough, that's all really worked out for me. So anyway, but it was uh, encouraging to hear that. Let's, uh, let's kind of pivot here a little bit. I'm gonna talk yeah. about the product. Let's get into the product. Uh, let's start with buying the homes. Walk me through this. Are you guys working like an actual literal on the ground boots agent? Is it your staff? Are we you don't partner with agents. Like talk me through that piece. Yeah, we, we, we sort of view ourselves as an agent or a broker's best friend. We don't, staff full-time agents internally at summer um so the the approach really you know i guess stepping back for a second that the target audience here um is really you know we we think about there's five percent roughly give or take of americans who own a vacation investment second property 65 percent would like to own one very large gap wow i'm surprised yeah i'm surprised not 100 percent wants to own one right or 95, the five, 95 that doesn't. Um, but, you know, a lot of people do. Uh, the 5% that does is mostly high net worth folks, right? Uh, you know, I kind of joke, I'm in New York. Uh, this person buying like a $10 million home in the Hamptons, they really need a bunch of help. They're not really worried about what's going on in the home when they're not there. They Maybe they shut it down and that's that. They don't need to make rent per se. Um, where we've, you know, traditionally found ourselves having a lot of resonance is, I guess, what we call the mass affluent, right? The middle, middle, upper class. Um, mm-hmm. it's someone who has, you know, enough money to put something down on a property, right? And it doesn't need to be a ridiculously expensive home, right? Um, you know, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollar home in the, the Catskills upstate New York, right? Um, or the, all yep. the way up to a few million dollars in, you know, Miami, right? Uh, but something that is, that is nice and rents really well in that middle tier that I was talking about. Um, yeah. that person has the money. They typically have some degree of upfront payment they can put towards a home, but they don't have the risk tolerance to go into that purchase and feel entirely comfortable putting that money down on something they're going to stay in for a subset of the year, right? Uh, because to them, that, that, you know, 20% or that upfront payment or whatever they're thinking about there is an outsized portion of their own personal savings and nest egg than the person buying the $10 million home is, right? Um, so they're totally. going to it thinking of all the things that can go wrong. They're like, is this the right home? Am I going to design mm-hmm. this out really well? I'm only going to spend like 45 days a year here roughly, right? Yep. What am I doing with it when I'm out there? How am, I, am I pricing it? Am I calling up the local market person to price it and manage it and do all this stuff, right? And it ends up being more of a headache. If they, they even get over the hurdles and the, and the risks and, and the fear of almost jumping into owning something like this, it ends up being more of a headache for them a lot of times when they're, you know, they've got good jobs, et cetera. They're at, at the office or doing whatever, and they're getting calls having to deal with this. And it ends up being more of a headache than a, than a, than a benefit or something relaxing. Them. So we thought about composing the product. It was really aimed at taking away a lot of the pain points of that process and speaking to some of those value propositions. So um, my favorite thing to do is actually pick on the person I'm talking to. So Nate, if you were going to be a summer customer, or when, yes. when you are a summer customer, how about that? Uh, hey, where's your, where's your, where's your home going to be? Let's, 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 you know let's what? use an example. I, I love, I love Montana. Uh, and, uh, so somewhere outside of the crazy mountains. Okay. All right. Let's do that. So you would come to us, right? And you'd, you, you know, there's a number of different ways you can find your way to summer. Uh, we have advertising in a bunch of different places, social media. We're actually running our first commercial this week. Uh, so let's go you know, for us out there. Uh, you'll see us, but, um, find out about us. You, you, you contact us. 
you can bring yep. us homes you'd like. Um, we also find homes ourselves through our database. Um, and then we have broker partners in every market we operate in. Um, so we've been fortunate enough to receive an investment from the National Association of Realtors. Again, speaking to like how much we value that partnership with them. You know, and we, we really think it's valuable because one, you know, a lot of times realtors and brokers down on the ground, they, they've got better sense of like off-market deals or they, they know that the guy two blocks over who might be tempted, you know, if you put a good offer in on something that's, it's not in the MLS yet, but you could probably get this from this guy, right? They've been in the team oh, yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah. On, the si- on the other side of that, what's interesting about it is, you know, a lot of them have good, especially the best ones in every community have good stature, right? They have good stature in the community. So when we, when we're looking mm-hmm. to go in and operate somewhere, I'm not trying to turn any of these towns into like a hotel or something like that. I'm just trying to enable folks like yourself to be able to affordably and figure out a way to make it work when they're so when we come in, you know, a lot of these broker partners, uh, we, we try to, they're our, they're our first touch point when we come into a market, right? We yep. want to show them what we're all and really show them that we're here to work with, you know, place anyone, certainly. So it, it makes a lot of sense though, right? Because I mean, like, the, like you said, like if it's a second home, you're only going to go there for maybe, you know, a few weeks out of the year at best. Exactly. It, it, I think you said 45 days. I don't know the average, but that seems pretty generous. Most maybe people a it's between... Most people, it's, I was going to say, most people, it falls between 30 to 60. And, and the fun exercise yeah, I okay. do with people is actually sit there and try to go through your calendar. Most people will be surprised at how much time you're actually going to spend, right? They, they probably overestimate how much time they could. But, you know, so then mm-hmm. the rest of the year, you know, and I think about this just from like a, a responsibility uh, perspective. If the yeah. home is sitting and it's vacant and it's not actively or well managed, even while it's vacant, you know, there's a lot of stuff that builds up. Like you have the the the, the yard maintenance that goes to the side. You know, if there's mm-hmm. any sort of like animals that take up residence, you're not going to discover them in time. Nope. You have pests and just the activity of people coming and going in and of the house, right? In of itself is actually mm-hmm. really good Exposes for maintaining. Stuff. So putting in professionally property management the rest of the year, yeah, while you're not using it. Makes a lot of sense, which it kind of leads me to the question of like, you talked about kind of like who that persona is, but, um, so are they looking more so like, Hey, I want to offset the cost of owning, or are they looking like, Hey, you know what? This, the perk of having this as an investment is I also get to stay there. Like which yeah. one is, do you see more so as the motivator? It's, it's a great question. I mean, the, the, the cop out answer is both, right? I, I, I joke about this all the time. It's kind of like, it, it, it really is a head and heart sale, right? Yeah, yeah. What's interesting about this product traditionally is, yeah, you look at most folks and again, like who wouldn't want a vacation home, right? But to, to most people traditionally, I grew up in New England, like, you know, the, the stories of like the Kennedys at like Hyannis and like the compound, right? There's this layer of aristocracy to this thing uh-huh. where you feel like you have to be uh, rich to have a vacation home or you have to like, um, you know, be able to, to, it's not necessarily a smart investment because it's going to burn a hole in your pocket and you have to be so well off that it can burn a hole in your pocket and you're not going to feel it. Right. Um, and I think that what we do in our model, even the name summer, right. It's kind of a play on that. Like, you know, I love it, it. summer, summer ring is something that, you know, someone like the Kennedys mm-hmm. would have done back then. Right. Mm-hmm. So like we're bringing that to a mass audience here. Uh, we're basically, yeah. you know, what gets someone hooked on the sale, I can tell you time and time again, is both. You have to fall. It, it's an emotional attachment, but it's also yep. a smart financial investment. And we present you with both. You get hooked on the home. You're loving it. Obviously, it's got to be a home you like or want to spend time in and, and, and are falling yeah. in love with or have an idea of like seeing yourself there. And like it's in the mountains, you're 
envisioning the hikes you're going to take or sitting by the fire with your kids or something like that. If it's yep. a beach area, all of that. But like you have that emotional attachment. And then you look on the other side and you're seeing the revenues, the costs, the amount that's going to cost you to get stood up with us, all of this and, and what we can really do to this to make it a smart financial investment for you. And, mm-hmm. and at that point, you've checked every box. And you, know, you kind of see it, it's funny. A lot of our customers are couples, families, maybe two friends buying together. Um, typically, most folks will kind of come with that perspective, you know, in their own heads. But uh, you also see it balanced out in a, in a pair, right? Maybe one person's leaning more towards the finances and needs to be sold, and the other one's <laughs> leaning more towards the the emotional. Appeal I can see of that it, being a thing, right? <laughs> right? So it's yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah. But I love having a product that I think speaks to both because to make the sale at the end of the day and make it make sense, that's what we're really about. And it's got to check both of those boxes, I think, to get people over the line. I I totally understand that. I mean, personally, we just invested uh, with some friends. We we bought a a handful of cabins in Ohio and we just added two new A-frames. And I just completed a, a, a road trip. I was riding my motorcycle. Uh, from here to Philly and then back. And on the way back, I stopped in Ohio and I stayed in one of our A-frames. They're not even online yet. Well, they I think they just went online as mm-hmm. far as like taking bookings, but like a few weeks out. So it was actually really fun. It was like, hey, this is a good perk. But like you said, yeah. like, I'd love to get there more often. The reality is, you know, I'm probably not going to get there very often, but it was a really nice perk. And I, I want to, I'm going to use that as the transition point here though, because there's some perks that come with, Yeah, you know, it's not that just you guys are offering this, uh, you know, the ability to help, um, you know, consult and, and direct consumers to like buying a vacation home and then, you know, the ability to manage it. But there's some additional perks that really mm-hmm. are creating a marketplace effect. I think is pretty unique. I don't know yeah. of others that are doing something like this. Can you talk to me about some of the perks that come with being a summer customer? No, that's, that, that, that's a big one. I'll start with that one because you mentioned it. I think what really kind of, it's, it's typically the last thing I touch on in the pitch and I uh, I think our sales team probably does the same, but it's kind of the cherry on top because at the end of all this, you know, you're getting to use this home whenever you want to go with no blackout dates, right? We, we don't have, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, other sort of like functional or timeshare models where you're competing against other people for, you know, vacations and holidays throughout the year. Like you grab the time when you want and I'll rent it out when you're not there. Right. Um, so you get to go to your home that you're, owning and buying, whether it's up front or a few years in, we can talk about that in a second, but we got an option where you can try this home out actually before you fully buy it and see how it performs. Right. So that's another value mm-hmm. position. So you get to make money on it. You get to go when you want to go. And last, but certainly not least, you can actually take your time that you have in the home. So if you're going for 30, 40, 50 days a year, it's really just time in the entire summer network. So you're owning a singular asset, right? You get the benefit of not having to have like shared ownership or fractional ownership where you're splitting this with like six other people, you're offsetting mm-hmm. your costs on owning that entire asset. So you're offsetting your annual costs. You're free and clear to sell that home years down the line if you want to sell it, right? But with the time you're spending in the home, you can actually spend it in your home or any home across the summer network. Um, so if I have a home, let's say in Miami, you have a home, uh, let's say in Montana, you know, you get to... 40 days a year, call it, let's say, that you want to take. I will not be summering in Miami, in just Miami. so for the record. <laughs> well, I won't worry about you coming in. Let's, let's pretend I've got it. Where, where else would you want to go? How about uh, – uh, I might go – I need to go further north. Like, you, you in Alaska yet? Yeah, in Saskatchewan? Yeah, there we go. I haven't oh, been. Yeah, see, Maine. Uh, Maine's that'd cool. be fun. Yeah. I, I was there yeah, a few there weeks back. Maine's cool. Um, 
uh, you, you know, you, you come to my place in Maine. So you spend 30 days, oh. for example, you can spend 30 days, for example, at your place in Montana and spend 10 days in my place in Maine when I'm not there. Right. And we have people right now who do that across our platform. That's speak, super cool. I can speak to one of our customers who actually uh, lives here in Brooklyn in New York. Uh, he has two kids. Initially, he came to me trying to buy a home in Miami, and he's got two school-age kids, eight and 10, and he were looking in Miami, looking in Miami, and then he goes, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to get down here enough because I've got kids in school, right? I'm going to max go like spring break and maybe a week in Christmas or something like that, but with you all, I should just buy a home upstate New York. I can get there two hours. I can go you know, twice a month or something like that, and I can still go to Miami for two weeks out of the year like I wanted to do anyway, and I could just stay at some of your homes and properties down there, right? So I think that's a huge selling point. Uh, for someone like Summer is the ability to actually own a whole asset, monetize that, but still get to stay mm-hmm. in this great network of properties. Now, you guys have, I, I talked about it early on, the two distinct ownership models, the gradual and immediate. The gradual mm-hmm. model, let's kind of talk through that. I think that's somewhat self-explanatory yeah. what it sounds like, but I'm curious, you know, your criteria for underwriting because mm-hmm. you're assuming some of the risk here. So can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? And Because uh, I think this is actually still pretty unique as an offering on the market. It is 100%. Um, so the gradual product, um, again, speaking to this customer, if you go back, we're, we're very customer forward thinkers here. We, you know, th- this person's a little risk averse, right? Um, most people mm-hmm. that, that 20% represents an outsized portion for them. Um, you know, we're telling you, uh, you know, bringing it back to you as the example, you know, Nate, uh, when we're finding these properties for you in Montana, in that example we talked about earlier, us, the broker, you, uh, we're running those through our technology and our algorithms here. And, and that's really mm-hmm. what we pour a lot in on the tech side is the ability to surface the best yielding homes to you through data and technology and tell you how we think we can get those to yield certain ways. And, and, and on a home by home basis, not just broadly in the market, we're telling you this home on this block does this for these reasons, this home on this block two blocks over does this for these reasons. You pick the home, um, you say you want to go, go, go transact on it or buy it. The gradual mm-hmm. model is kind of us uh, walking the walk after talking the talk, right? We told you it would do this and now we're gonna show it to you. So uh, we actually buy the home for you uh, in parallel to the amount of money we've been able to raise as a startup on the equity side, we actually have a, a, a debt facility we use to do that. Um, yep. You put up the initial 20% down, right? Uh, so we finance the other 80 ourselves and you put up the 20. You pay us a flat monthly fee that equals your usage on the home. So again, broad strokes, like you want to go 30 to 50 days a year, 40 to 60, like whatever it may be, but we'll price you at somewhere in that range that you want to be priced at. You get to go when you want to go, no blackout dates, you're booking out your days, et cetera. You have up to two years to decide if you'd like to buy the home back from us using Mm -hmm. the 20% you put down and the monthly payments you made along the way. We add those up, reduce the purchase price by that much. If you decide you do not want to buy the home, that's fine too. You can walk away with your initial payment at 20% in full, no questions asked, at the end of your term. If, However, we will keep the entirety of the monthly payments that you made until that point. Of course. Because, yeah. and, and, and as a, sort of the trade-off for letting you walk away, because it's effectively the same amount of time and money you would have spent to stay in that home for, call it 30 days a year on Airbnb, right? So you didn't technically yeah. lose out per se. It's it, You actually got to upsize the vacation you took for a couple of years and see if you want to buy a home. It's like purchase option. Now they, the trade-off here is that you get to go when you want to go. You can walk away from the purchase after two years if you want with your 20% back in full. You get to see how the home performs before you fully commit to buying it. But during this two-year period, summer 
makes the entirety of the short-term rental income when you are not in the home. So it's how I cover OPEX debt service and make a profit, oh, right? Because totally, I'm yeah. on the hook for the mortgage and you're not. You're paying a very low flat monthly fee relative to what the mortgage would be on this home. It's mm-hmm, also how mm-hmm. I show you, Nate, that this is a good investment. I'm like, I'm taking the risk here, like you said. I'm buying this home. I'm calling it. I'm saying this is a, this is a winner, Nate. Uh, and I'm sitting you down every month and I'm showing you how these homes are performing, how your home's performing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you get to walk into this already knowing the rental profile of the asset. And then on the back end of all this, when it's time for you to buy the home and you do want to buy the home, that's when it becomes a revenue sharing agreement between us, right? So you've now seen it perform. You love it. You transition over to a revenue sharing agreement. You're now the deed owner. You buy the home with a traditional mortgage, et cetera. You can see how much your costs are going to be offset. We take a you know percentage of the nightly gross rate, uh, like a property manager would at that point. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think from our perspective, what's exciting about it is um, you know we're really just funneling the highest caliber properties in here. Um, so it makes it worth our while to be able to put all the effort and time into finding these best homes for folks like yourself to get there. It's very cool. I think that's a u- unique uh, offering there. And then I have one question clarifying on the on the contract. Please. So is the price is the price set up front, or do you reevaluate market? value uh at the two-year time period the price is set up front um this is okay it's, it's yep. a good question we we um i think what initially user testing i did on this was uh and i get it we've seen a lot of fluctuations in the housing markets over the last you know decade uh decade plus a lot of folks if mm-hmm. you just uncap it let them ride the hpa hpd wave um you know they, they get a little scared and they think that it could be worth 25 percent more or 25 percent less and maybe they didn't actually build up any savings into this over the two years right so um you know we think it's important to sort of put something out there and say this is what we think the price should be two years from now you know like anyone mm-hmm. else could we want to could we negotiate for us right um if you really like the home but you know maybe there has been some depreciation or appreciation um but we do set a price with you contractually. That is your buyback price. And, and that, is, gotcha. that is fair game for both of us. If you don't want to buy it at that and you want to give us a different offer, we might listen. Love it. Maybe love we it. don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned a debt facility uh, aside from your equity investments. Mm-hmm. But you guys have you've been on the fundraising uh, tear here. Yeah. Uh, or you're, you're just wrapping up around, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we raised a couple rounds uh, of, of, of venture equity over the uh, you know, almost three years now we've been operational so it started the company back in January 21 so mm-hmm. and then we raised the seed round at the end of uh, 2021 that was from QED and, and Lightspeed about 11 and a half million dollars and then we recently yes we have recently uh, this past year done a series A financing which we'll be discussing more soon uh, but yeah we, we we're very excited about yeah, and then so then talk to me about how you're gonna what that's gonna go towards because you guys are like a really interesting mix here. You're yeah. you're a real estate company because you own some of it. You're a management mm-hmm. company, but mm-hmm. specifically for short term rentals, which makes you hospitality. And mm-hmm. there's some level of tech all wrapped up in this. I'm yep. assuming because yep. your operations have to be efficient in order yep. to to operate all this. Yep. So where where are you really looking to move that money? And do you see is strategic towards a, a venture, you know, venture level style growth company. Yeah, that's a great question. Nate. I, I, you know, I always talk to folks about this, especially folks who are trying to get into prop tech or these types of companies, and 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 it definitely is a little harder 
to fundraise them because you need different pockets and pools of capital, right? If you're a, uh, you know, B2B software company, SaaS company mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in Silicon Valley, you know who you're raising from. You're raising from, you know, your traditional VCs who invest in those types of, of, of businesses. With this type of business, you know, you don't want to just raise uh, VC equity and go buy real estate. They, they have different return profiles and different desires for where their money's their money's They're going. not going to be too happy uh, about that right no, now. No, no, that is not going to be the return they want to see. Um, they, they, they have sold their LPs, building uh, partners mm-hmm. on a different type of return profile that's based around technology. And so when I take VC equity and, or VC, VC dollars and, and, and you know, equity for, for this business, we really think about you know technology, marketing, growth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. traditional activities that are core across the entire you know tech startup ecosystem, right? Um, so that acquisitions model that we talked about, all the front end technology that goes into really you know if you want to call it what we're really building out there is the the zestimate for short term rental income. You know that's really what we're pouring into up there. That's where a lot of that's going. Marketing growth, like I said, we've got our first summer commercial coming out. Those are traditional activities that a lot of startups have. On the other side of it, you have the debt facility. That's what goes into the actual real estate. We have a separate LLC structure, even internally with our company, on how to segregate that. So it's really, you know, there, there's a there's a lot of thought that goes into standing up a company like this, um, and, and a few more, I, I would say, barriers to entry than you know just popping open your laptop and starting to code. Not, uh, you know, they're not too high though to get started. I, I just think it requires a little bit of more thought and research into how to effectively segregate the pools of capital. Gotcha. And uh, before we get into uh, some of the bottom segments here, I, I'd be remiss if I ignored this. You know, vacation rentals has been a pretty hot topic. And I want to talk through yeah. some of the regulations. I looked through your portfolio of properties that you guys have on your Airbnb uh, profile it doesn't look like you have much exposure or any exposure to places like New York city, but obviously yeah. there's gotta be something investors are asking you like, Hey Paul, what are you going to do when mm-hmm. Airbnbs are illegal everywhere or they levy huge taxes against yeah. all these properties? How are you thinking about that? You know, the fact that, yeah, there has been some tighter restrictions placed on short-term rentals that, you know, state of uh, Tennessee, for instance, instituted new laws around insurance requirements mm-hmm. uh, for all vacation rentals, Gutlinburg being one of the hottest markets for how long now uh, because of the Smoky Mountains. So, so what, mm-hmm. what's your take on that? How are you hedging your bets against, you know, the current legislative market or excuse yeah. me, environment? Uh, I'll, I'll say a few things on that. I think it's a great question, a very timely one. Um, you know, the first thing I'll say is, I think the more regulation that pours in to any industry, um, the less the individual wants to deal with anything in it, right? So I think it actually mm. speaks to some of our value propositions again of like, you know what, if you if you want to offset your costs and rent out your home, you, do you really want to go deal with the state of Tennessee and any of the regulations or you want to let us just take that pain, right? So that's, that's another yep. thing that I think a lot of folks that have stood up these homes or try to do it themselves is like, I don't want to be on the hook for renewing the permit and like talking to the local government about it or dealing with the new law that comes down the pipeline. Right. Like, um, sure. So I'm actually optimistic in the sense that I think more folks will look to, you know, professionals like ourselves to help them deal with it. The more red tape just goes in around this stuff. Now to get to the heart of your question, that does mean more headaches for me. Right. So we try to take a very proactive approach. Um, and maybe this is going you know, back to your earlier question. Maybe this is where that uh, initial inkling in government comes in handy, Nate. 
<laughs> but the idea that uh, we, we have a couple folks on our side who um, you know, are directly responsible for sort of like government relations, government affairs, government liaison, um, all directly down to like the local level, local communities, local towns so that we operate in. And we try to take a proactive approach when we go into a new market. You know, we don't want the narrative to just be, here's some other company coming in here trying to disrupt anything. Here's Silicon Valley money mm. pouring into your local community, right? No, no, no. We're, like I said before, we're trying to enable folks. I don't want to own your entire town. I don't want those homes on my books forever. I'm trying to just help folks like yourself buy these in a smarter way and then you continue sure. to yeah. own them, right? Um, so, you know, we go in and we try to tell our story to, to local municipalities. We obviously oblige with any laws that they have that are existing today. We try to participate in, a, in an active dialogue about any future laws. And we try to show ourselves to be, uh, you know, valuable members of these of these communities in the sense that, you know, we manage these homes well. There's, they're, they're, you know, well taken care of, no, no dilapidated properties here. We have uh, certain precautions we take against like party properties, right? None of our homes are being used for parties and there are proactive approaches you can take there. So I, I'm not worried about any towns finding out someone had a razor and trashed the yard and it, it looks like a dump now. That's that's not the case either here. Um, and we, we employ a lot of folks on the ground as well um, as contractors that, that do the work in our homes. And again, when you know, it takes thought as well. When you're going into these communities, um, you know, I'm not like you like you made an allusion to. I'm not looking to go into a market like New York City. Uh, where there's high saturation, a healthy degree of, uh, you know, skepticism on the short-term rental side. You know, we want to go into places that have a receptance to tourists, a receptance to vacationers, a receptance to yep. this industry and, and have people on the ground that want to participate uh, as laborers in the industry, you know, roofers, repairmen, et cetera. Like we, we, we welcome that and we want those folks to, to we, we employ those folks on the ground. So you know, we, we do the best we can there. Obviously we, we continue to, um, you know, oblige by any laws that are put up, but I, sure. the last thing I'll say is I, I think, I think we've kind of pendulumed all the way to the other side now. You know, I remember when it was sort of the wild west, even when I got started at Airbnb and there wasn't a ton of restrictions anywhere. I think I remember San Francisco standing some up while I was there. And that was one of the first ones that went up in the County or a country, one of the bigger ones. Um, you know, I think like a lot of things, when things are new, people, you know, they, they, they get excited about something and then, you know, regulation kicks in and, you know, maybe we settle into something, I think, probably in a healthier middle ground. I, I think the bigger answer to all of these problems is we, we just have a low housing supply in this country already. So different different episode, I'm sure, for you, but we just need to build more housing. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a big reliever, a lot of this pain anyway. I'm right there with you. Let's build. We got to build. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We're going to jump down to one of my favorite segments of the show. I like to call for the future for the futures. When I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions, Paul, are you ready okay. to play? Ready to play. All right, let's do this first one. What does summer look like one year from now? Uh, we have expanded our geographical footprint all over the country. Um, we're probably in the hundreds of homes at that point, hopefully. Awesome. Number two, hot topic on Twitter these days. <laughs> it's a lot of will hot topics be, on Twitter these days. <laughs> will, will there be a short-term rental crash of any sort within the next year or two? I think any type of short-term rental crash would be tied to a system recession housing crisis in general. I think there's a short-term rental crash. So I guess the real question is, is there going to be a recession next year? 
I think we will continue to walk the line. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> I think we've come. We're, we're walking. We're, we're walking, walking that line. line. We're like, I, I mean, Possession. Not quite. Yeah, I mean, Possession. I think Powell and the Fed have been, you know, they guiding this thing very close to the edge, right? I think, you know, the landing know, the plane, as they call the it. Day, he just got asked the other day. He's like, is this a soft landing? He's like, well, yeah. I've always believed in a soft landing, but <laughs> this is not the but, soft landing, but there could be like a soft. <laughs> it was like, what? I mean, what, what is it, man? What is it? Oh, yeah, hey, what? Yeah. It, it, all right. Cool, cool, cool. All right, number three here. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Uh, the, Other uh, than absurd cleaning fees and uh, chore tasks list. You took, you took, you took one out everything. I can't stand. I was so happy when I saw Airbnb make that announcement about the cleaning fees, and then the year before, they they removed it. They had the transparent pricing, right? Where like, yeah, you know, how many times yes. you get to check out? I can't tell. Even working. Oh there, my I was gosh. Just like, oh. You get to check out and, and it's like double the price. And you're like, what what just happened? Can I just search and filter yep. by the actual price? Um, no, I, I think I'm not uh, – a lot of the property managers out there, I think, um, are valuing scale over good management at this point. And I think a few of the mm. larger folks have just – gotten a little ahead of their skis in terms of the amount of properties bringing under their belt and the ability to consistently churn out like solid revenues for you as a customer and solid revenues for themselves as a business right totally combine that with like this race to the bottom in terms of the management fees they're taking on right and it's it's horrible because you know we're not the cheapest in a property management sense but that's because we're doing a lot to get you there and, and get you over the line in the first place uh some of our customers come to us and they're like you know, I shopped you to someone else and they're cheaper on a property management side. I'm like, well, yeah, there's a reason for that. Like they're, they're really not giving you a lot when it comes and the service keeps going down and it speaks for itself in the reviews. So I, yeah. I think there's a larger issue in the property management scale side that needs to get fixed there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final one here on for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? A lot of the archaic sort of processes around um, buying, and transacting, and selling, right? Um, I think there's already uh, a good receptance to this. I will give a – he owes me a beer if he hears this podcast. I will give a plug and a shout-out for a fellow startup out there, uh, a great one we use called Inspectify. Uh, I know the CEO there, Josh Jensen, uh, pretty well. Josh is going to – I'm going to get Josh on the show. I just interviewed him really uh, at, at uh, Blueprint. And we're going to yeah. get him on the show for yeah, a full yeah. interview. It's going to happen. He told so me he's out, out Josh. Blueprint. Uh, I've been there the last yep. few years. I couldn't make it out this year. But um, yeah, Josh is great. Uh, we uh, we use them all the time for our inspections. What's great Very about cool. Inspectify is we, we program our own set of inspection criteria that are more than just the customers that we have you know sort of formulated through trial and error and figuring some things out mm-hmm. based on every single home that we're doing. Um, and that's great, right? Like I don't have to call up some person in a market to go get an inspection done. I just, I have my ops team just puts it in and inspectify it. Slack integrated comes right back to us within 24 hours. I'm sharing that with you as a customer, right? It's stuff like that. Parts of the, of the acquisitions process. There's just so much like paperwork, wet signatures and real estate still. Um, so I'm excited to see that continue to evolve. It's crazy. I can't tell you the amount of times I've had a FedEx documents places. It's, it, it's, it's wild. I didn't think about yeah. that when I signed up for this. Tired, tired of the wet signature personally, but you know, Hey, it is what it is. Okay. Uh, we're going to head into the last three here, Paul. These are so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? I've been reading a lot of biographies lately. Um, 
uh, you know, a lot of thought leadership books. Uh, my last one was Principles, Ray Dalio. We've had that one mentioned a few times. Yeah. It's still on my, I might get to that one one day list. <laughs> it's not the shortest read, but I, I, I do. Uh, I mean, how he thinks about things, uh, Bridgewater is, is definitely an interesting way to do it. Uh, you know, and I, and I do generally like the radical transparency thing, you know, maybe mm. being honest with people doesn't mean you need to be a jerk. Um, and I like people that are straightforward. So appreciate that. There you go. Number two, who are you learning from? I try to take a lot of, you know, I, I'm, I have an open mind. I try to learn from anyone and anything around me. Um, I think every experience gives you some type of learnings. It's not a, it's not a failure. It's a learning, right? That's a, it's a very old adage, but I, I think lately I find a lot of value in, um, you know, a lot of my, my lead investors, some advisors, fellow founders who are farther down the trail, uh, than myself, right. You know, we're a series A company. Um, there's been a lot of folks mm. in prop tech who have gone through the gauntlet the last few years. Um, and you know, they're farther along, maybe they've lost the company, maybe totally. they still have the company, but you know, some of those stories, uh, I love hearing from, from former founders and founders who have just blazed the trail already. There's always something to learn from there. This is a great podcast to listen to on a weekly basis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <For that. laughs> Our last one here, what inspires you? Our customers. Like, I, honestly, like I, I, I live for the stories, uh, you know, I was telling, I, I was telling someone the other day, um, I live for the stories of, of, of people's lives you can impact, right? It's it, as a founder mm-hmm. and as an entrepreneur, there is nothing greater in the world than hearing that you, you, your, your product, your creation, your baby changed something for someone, right? Not, you know, like we're not getting clean water and like, you know, changing the world in that sense. I'm aware of what our product is, but it is an important thing. And, uh, you know, the story I'll say there is, uh, you know, I was talking to one of our first customers and we're very friendly at this point because he's one of my first customers. I sold him a home. That's not exactly a, a small transaction for most people. So we got to know each other and we'll come to the city yeah. and we'll get coffee. He was in the city a while back and, you know, we were talking about uh, this purchase has, you know, he's 35, he's got two kids. And he's saying to me, you know, what I love about your product is the, the way you've done it, how you've exposed the risk, how you've shown me how much I can make and, and walk me through that and help me see around every corner and, and really take on the risk has allowed me to buy something now at 35 with my four and six year old kids and not have to wait till I'm 50 or 55 to buy this home. And I can share those yeah. memories now with my kids and have them grow up in this environment and have them go visit that. And they can build that attachment. They can have that lifestyle that I want them to have. They're running through the stream that's in the cool. back and like running through the woods. And that's what I want for them. And he's like, if I bought this when I'm 50 something, like my kids will be in their twenties. Maybe they're in high school, college. Like they're not going to think I'm cool anymore. They're not going to want to come hang out with me and like the cat skills for the weekend. Like I get to build that mm-hmm. with them now. And those memories are priceless to me. And you've made that a smart investment. And you know what? I can turn around and sell this home when they're ready to go to college. And that's their college fund. I can turn around and give this to them one day. I can bring the grandkids here. Like this can be our spot, tying it back to that, you know, the Kennedy's thing. That's their little, you know, compound. Yeah, that's their your little, little thing, summary. right? Yeah. And it makes financial sense and it, it makes memories for them. And I, I think that uh, that's what I look for right there. So that's where I find my inspiration. Super cool. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for all of your time and kind of uh, sharing some insights both into the vacation rental hospitality world, but also the unique, unique take that Summer has uh, taken uh, to bring to market. Before we close out the show, for those who want to get in touch with you and or learn more about Summer, where do they go and how do they do that? website is 
gosummer.com. Uh, most of our handles on social media are start somewhere. So you can follow us there, check out our content if you'd like. I think the easiest way to interact with us, if you're curious about buying, reach right out on our website. Uh, if you just want to even test our product, go book one of our homes this weekend. Uh, it's great fall season in the Northeast. So check us out. There you go. I was going to just tag a send, a send a friend of mine in New York City, uh, one of your uh, upstate properties. I think yeah. he'd be interested this in. But Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm sure I'll be seeing you around sometime. Uh, but until then, we'll catch you later. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.